Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our service this morning. We're happy to see you here. Um, our songs today, we're, Cam and I picked them out, and um, Pastor Glenn is speaking on Ananias and Sapphira, sin um, and dealing with sin. So we picked some songs that were dealing with sin in the light of um, Jesus' blood shed for us. So let's stand and sing nothing but the blood, and then we'll follow that right away with, Are You Washed in the Blood? Nothing but 
which is kind of a long one, but it tells the whole story of what Christ did for us. And I want to read this thing that came up in my Instagram feed yesterday. And it says, remember, it was things to remember to help you conquer temptation. It says, remember the sinfulness of sin. When Satan whispers in your ear that this angry outburst, this moment of sloth, this disregard for the Lord's name is merely a little thing, and nothing to trouble yourself about. Hear John's dark warning. It says, sin is lawlessness, 1 John 3, verse 4. When we sin, we become lawbreakers. And then it says, remember the work of Christ, which is where this next song came in. It says, we are not helpless in the face of temptation. Christ broke the power of sin over us. By uniting us to himself in his death and resurrection, he releases us from slavery to sin and frees us to righteousness, from Romans 6. With his blood, Christ purchased your ability to say no to sin. So we'll sing all four verses of The Power of the Cross.
Well, good morning, everyone. To this Sunday, January 30th service this morning. It's good to have a little bit of nicer weather for a guy myself who works outdoors. I much appreciate the, the sunshine and the warmer weather that we're uh, experiencing right now, but it doesn't look like it's going to last, but whatever, we'll take what we can get. Anyways, I would like you to ask you if you guys would uh, read the call to worship with me this morning. It's found in your bulletins. And we will just read that out loud together. But I have trusted in thy loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. It's from Psalm 13. We'll just pray this morning. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we just thank you. I thank you for everyone that, uh, that is here this morning, that, uh, that took the time to come and, and join us and to celebrate and to worship you here this morning, Lord, and to, uh, to hear a message that has been prepared for us. And uh, so we just thank you. We thank you that we have a place to do this. We have the freedom to do this and the ability to do this. And we thank you for your blessings and your provision and for your grace for us, Lord. And uh, we thank you for your uh, sending Jesus to, uh, to die for us and, and, and to make that sacrifice for our sins, which we are all guilty of, Lord. So uh, we thank you for the music and the message that will be, uh, will be given to us here this morning, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. And Chris is going to be reading the scripture. The scripture reading this morning is from Acts chapter 5, if you've got your Bibles. We're going to read Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. Acts chapter 5. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. And in an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are here at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young man came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, 
So they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Message to us, and as we're here to uh, to look into it in more detail, let's uh, just ask God to guide our thoughts. As we approach Your Word, Lord God, we just want to come humbly. We want to be we we want to come uh, reverently, prayerfully, because we know that Your Word is for us, for all of us, for all time, and uh, Lord, may we approach it in that light. And be open in our hearts and our minds to whatever it is that you are going to say to us here through this passage of scripture. Help me, Lord, just to speak it as you would want it spoken. Lord, that you would you would move me aside and it would be you preaching this morning. We're waiting for you to speak in your name. Amen. Mount Pinatube in the Philippines. Roared to life in a great volcano, volcanic eruption in 1991. Scores of people lost their lives in that volcano. Uh, the U.S. Army, mightiest army in the world at that time, had a very strategic base there. They were forced to, to abandon that base. Uh, property damage approached a billion dollars. Volcano had been dormant for 600 years, but in 1991, like I said, it roared back to life. When asked to account for the incredible destruction caused by this volcano, uh, a research scientist from the Philippines Department of Volcanol Volcanology <laughs> observed, when a volcano was silent for many years, our people forget that it's a volcano, and they begin to treat it like it's a mountain. I tell that story because that's kind of like the sinful nature that is in us, in each one of us. It always has the potential to erupt at any time, bringing great harm both to ourselves and to those around us. We at times may think that we have it mastered, we make the mistake, because of that, to ignore the volcano and to move back onto what seems like a dormant mountain. And that's the biggest mistake we can make. Because, like I said, that sin nature erupts and great damage is done. There's one big difference, though, between the two. Whereas Mount Pinatube erupts only once every... 600 or 1,000 years or whatever it is. I didn't study to see how often it erupts. But the sin nature is different. It has a tendency to erupt much more frequently than once every 600 years. Much more frequently. Often just as unexpected, but it 
much more frequent. So you'd think we'd learn. But that's a constant struggle for every Christian. In our study of the book of Acts, we come today to chapter 5, that passage that Chris just read. Just a bit of a review. Chapter 4 was about this new fledgling church made up of entirely, made up entirely of, of new Christians, except, of course, for the apostles. And we saw this new fledgling church in chapter 4 face the beginnings of persecution. This persecution came from the Jewish leaders, more specifically the Sadducees, who were the ones who ran the priesthood and took care of the temple and all that went on in the temple. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. But right there in the temple courts, Peter and John were preaching that Jesus rose from the dead and that in Jesus all who place their faith in him will rise from the dead as well. So the persecution against the apostles and by association these new Christians began there in chapter 4. We've looked at that the past two sermons. It was an issue that was a problem. It would become a bigger problem as we go on in the book of Acts. We'll see that. But it was something that was there. It was something that would continue to be there. And these Christians would have to learn to live with it. It was a problem coming to them from the outside. The first part of chapter 5 tells the story of an event that had great potential to be a big problem, but this one was different. This was a problem that came from the inside. And it was a problem of sin in the ranks. What we read in Acts up until the end of chapter 4 gives us a picture of this crowd of new believers now numbering over 5,000 people. We see them all together, all unified in heart and in spirit. The Holy Spirit was working mightily among them. They were all loving each other. They were taking care of each other. They had all things in common, it says. Some of them were selling properties and that they owned to help out those who were in need. They were meeting together every day in the temple and also in different homes, eating meals together, sharing the Lord's Supper together. The picture is one of a one big happy family where the Holy Spirit is filling them and presumably they're all walking with the Spirit of God. The gospel is being preached. More people are coming to the faith every day. You would think that sin among them would not be an issue. But like Mount Pinatub, sin has a way of erupting when you don't expect it. And that's what happened here as we move to Acts chapter 5. <coughs> Acts chapter 5 is set up by the last two verses of chapter 4. Where it tells us that a man named Joseph, who had a nickname nicknamed Barnabas, and Barnabas would become the name that he'd be known by from now on in the book of Acts, he'll be known as Barnabas. His real name was Joseph. He owned a tract of land and he sold that tract of land and he brought the money from the sale of that land and laid it at the apostles' feet, obviously, to be used to help those who were in need. And that sets up the events that happen in the first 16 verses of chapter 5. So let's look into it. A body of believers needs to understand the necessity of dealing with the sin among them. And studying the aspects of the story in Acts 5, 1 to 16 will help us in this understanding. First aspect I want to look at is the sin. The sin. 
So Barnabas had just sold a piece of land, brought the money to the apostles for use by those who may be in need, as the apostles saw fit. And then Acts 5 verse 1 and 2 tells us another couple that we assume were part of this new church. A couple from among that group of now over 5,000 people, they also sold a piece of property. And they kept some of the money for themselves. And then the husband, Ananias, took the rest and laid it at the apostles' feet. Just like the people before them had done. And the text makes it clear that they had agreed, this couple had acted together. They had agreed beforehand that this was their plan. This was what they were going to do. So Ananias brought this agreed upon portion of the proceeds to the apostles and laid it at their feet. And in verse 3, you see there, Peter's response was instant. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Now let's stop and consider that. <laughs> what is going on here? I'm going to use my imagination a bit. The text doesn't say so. But I can imagine that when some of these more wealthy Christians sold some property and gave the money to the apostles, it caused a bit of a stir among this crowd. Look at that. So-and-so sold some of their own property and gave the money to help out the needy. Isn't that great? What an awesome man of God that is to do that. How generous that was. And so these people were perhaps looked up to and admired, had the praise of the people for their generosity. And Barnabas went and sold some land and gave it all to the apostles. Again, perhaps getting the accolades of the people. Being, Barnabas being admired for his generosity and maybe had people elevating him in their midst. And looking up to him as just a great man of God, so godly and giving his all to help the cause. Etc, etc, etc. Now the text doesn't say that, but knowing human nature, I would venture a guess that was going on. <laughs> so Ananias and Sapphira, also property owners, they're seeing this. And perhaps they were longing to be looked up to like these other people were. Perhaps they longed for the applause of men, as the Bible warns against elsewhere. But they weren't quite as generous. They didn't want to give it all. Whether they couldn't afford to give it all, or they were just a bit tight-fisted and couldn't find it in them to part with it all. Whatever the reason. They kept a portion of the proceeds of the sale and just gave a portion of it to the apostles. What was wrong with that? Well, nothing, as you read on in the text. What was wrong was what Peter addressed in verse 3. Why did you lie? So it is clear that what is going on here was that Ananias and Sapphira had agreed upon this plan of deception. They sold the land, they kept a portion of it, and brought the rest to the apostles, but they pretended like they were giving the, all, all the proceeds of the sale, the whole amount, just like Barnabas and some of the others had done. 
It seems they wanted that reputation of, of being uncommonly generous. And the accolades of their fellow Christians went with it, but they weren't really that generous. <laughs> so they lied about what they had received from the sale of their property to convince the apostles and their fellow Christians that they had donated the whole thing. They had given their all. And Peter caught it right away in verse 3. Why did you lie? I have no idea how Peter knew. <laughs> did he look at the amount of money they were giving and realized they got a lot more than that for the sale of their property? <laughs> Was it that? I don't know. Or did the Holy Spirit in some way reveal to Peter the deceit that was going on. We're not told how Peter knew. But Peter grasped the truth immediately and confronted Ananias with it. Why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? The sin was not just a sin against the apostles. It wasn't a sin just against that whole body of Christ. It was a sin against the Holy Spirit himself. And this was a grave, serious matter. Peter goes on to explain there in verse 4. It's your land, Ananias. It was your land. You are free to do that whatever you want. Keep it, sell it, whatever. It's yours. You're free to do with it what you want. After you sold it, the money you got for it was yours. To do with what you wanted. You could keep it, you could donate it, you could invest it, you could take your wife on a trip to Vegas or something. Or <laughs> Totally in your control. Why on earth would you choose to do what you did? To lie, to pretend, to donate it all so you could look generous and spiritual in the sight of all when in reality you only donated part of it and secretly kept the rest for yourself. Ananias, why did you do that? By the way, this is totally beside the point, but you notice in verse 3, Peter said he lied to the Holy Spirit. Then in verse 4, Peter says he lied to God. Pretty strong biblical evidence right there that the Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead. <laughs> Holy Spirit and God are used synonymously here in this passage. Good biblical teaching on the Trinity right there. That's just kind of beside the point if you ever <laughs> want a passage to show that uh, the Holy Spirit is actually God. There's one of them. <laughs> Let's get down to verse 7 through 9. Three hours later, it says, Sapphira came in. And in the meantime, uh, well, we'll get back to it later. <laughs> Three hours later, Sapphira comes in and Peter confronted her as well. Sapphira, that land you and your husband sold, did you get this amount for it? Referring to the mount that was donated. And she, going along with the plotter, led, yes, yeah, that's, that's the price we got for that piece of property. And she repeated the same lie that she and her husband had agreed on beforehand that that's what they were going to do. And then Peter goes after her. Why have you agreed to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Why had they conceived the plan to see how far they could go in presuming upon the forbearance of the Spirit of God? That's putting the Lord to the test. How far can we go and still get away with it? That's putting God to the test. That's what this was. 
So, that was the sin. The lie. The lie to make themselves look good in the front of others, to appear like amazingly generous people, giving their all for the common good, when in reality they were hypocrites. They lied to the apostles, they lied to the whole Christian community, and most serious, they lied to the Holy Spirit, to God himself. They put him to the test. And it has now come to light that there was a sin. There was sin among this group of new believers. It was an obstacle that they had to deal with. An internal problem that needed to be addressed. Persecution from the outside is a problem. And we have to learn to live with that. That'll always be there. This kind of sin on the inside, I would argue, is much more damaging to the cause of Christ and the advancement of the gospel than the persecution from the outside is. And it needs to be dealt with. And you've ever noticed so often the issue is around money? More specifically, the love of money? That's why the Apostle Paul said later on that the love of money is the root of all evil. We see it here. Still is. But sin like this in a group of believers is very harmful to the cause of Christ in advancing the kingdom. And it needs to be dealt with and quickly. So let's go on. That's the first aspect of the sin. Secondly, God's action. God's action. So let's go back over those verses that we skipped. You already know them, read them, so you know what it said. Verses 5 and 6. When Peter confronted Ananias, and when Ananias heard Peter's words, he just dropped dead. <laughs> it was done. He was dead. Just fell down dead, and was carried out, and was buried. You kind of look at that, and you think, wow, didn't even tell his wife. <laughs> just buried him. <laughs> wife had no idea. Can you imagine that happening? But then the same thing happened to Sapphira, down in verse 9 and 10. She didn't know that his wife, that her husband had, been, had, had died and was buried. She had no idea. She came in about three hours later. Peter confronted her. She repeated the same lie. And Peter said, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door. And they're going to carry you out too. And she fell down dead too. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Notice that Peter didn't do anything except confront them with their sin. Peter didn't strike them dead. No one else took any action to cause their death. This was obviously God's doing. There was sin in the ranks. It was exposed and needed to be dealt with. God took action and dealt with it. This was God's doing. The action God took was quick. It was decisive, it was thorough. And we look at that and we say, wow. <laughs> that seems like very harsh and extreme action on God's part. <laughs> Why would he do that? Sure, they sinned, but did God have to kill them on the spot? And why did God take that strong of an action here, and at other times he doesn't? If God is going to strike every Christian dead every time they sin, none of us would be alive for more than a day or two. 
I'm not sure I have all the answers to all those questions. I think part of the answer lies in the fact that this was a new work of God. We've looked at that over the past few, few uh, sermons. God is starting something new. The old covenant has served its purpose. The new covenant is now here. God now does his work through the Holy Spirit as he indwells those who place their faith in him. They become part of his body, his church. God is starting that here. We're seeing the beginnings of it. And as I mentioned it before, Acts is a book of transition. It records the beginning of God's new work of getting his church going. And to get it going and to get established, God is doing great and mighty things now through the power of the Holy Spirit. The preaching of the gospel of Jesus is accompanied by many great signs and wonders so that those hearing it will know that this preaching is in fact from God. And so as I said in previous sermons, there are things going on in Acts and happening in Acts that are kind of one-offs. God is doing these things to get his church started, to get his church going. And then once it was more established and going, we saw, you see, even toward the end of the book of Acts and toward the end of the, of the New Testament, the signs and wonders really start tapering off as the church was established. So some of the things we read about in Acts that happened at the beginning were one-time events. They were not intended to be carried out forever or to be replicated by all Christians for all time. So I think this extreme action, as we would see it, on God's part, falls into this category. As the church is just getting going, this is very harmful sin in the ranks needed to be dealt with quickly and decisively. So the work could get established and get going. And God took the action he did. And also everyone needed to understand the seriousness of sin. God does not take sin lightly. It's serious business. And God made that very clear to this new group of Christians here. Don't mess with God. Don't lie to the body of Christ and to the Holy Spirit. And try to appear something you're not. That standard was set right here. Right at the beginning. And that standard has not moved. No, God does not usually take this kind of decisive action and extreme action to deal with sin in the ranks. In fact, I don't think I know of any time God has done that uh, since. I, I could be wrong, you can correct me if you like, I could be wrong on that, but I can't recall at this moment any time God has taken that kind of action again since, the, since, since here. But that's not because the standard has changed. God does what he does for his own reasons, which are much above my frail human reasonings. God's actions don't need to make sense to me or to satisfy my flawed sense of fairness and justice. God is God. He does what is right. With my human mind, I don't understand it all the time. A lot of time I don't. But I don't need to. God is not held to my understanding. But what it does reveal is what God's standard is. And we need to live up to that standard as Christians. We see from this that sin in the ranks, sin against the body of Christ, sin against the Holy Spirit is very serious, it's very harmful, and if left unchecked, will seriously harm the work of Jesus Christ. 
and needs to be dealt with. And God did it here. So that was God's action. And then number three, and finally, the result. This action on God's part did have an immediate result. Verse 5. When Ananias fell down dead, it says that great fear came upon all who heard it. <laughs> I can imagine. Verse 11. When Sapphira fell down dead, and great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard these things. So there was a great fear that came over the whole church as they heard about the sudden death of Ananias and Sapphira and the reason for the sudden death. Talk about putting the fear of God into a church. <laughs> this certainly happened here. God definitely put the fear of the Lord into these people. I can't help but wonder how many of the other 4,998 plus Christians looked at that with the very uncomfortable revelation coming over them, but for the grace of God, <laughs> there go I. They probably, all of them, in their heart of hearts, knew their own sin. And God would certainly be justified in taking them out too. So yeah, a great fear came upon the whole church. But, going on, verses 12 through 16, you see that the work of God kept on going. It kept on going. The sin was dealt with, and the work of God kept going. We won't take time to read those verses. You can skim it as we go along. It says there, the signs and the wonders kept on being performed among the apostles, through the apostles. And although there were many that were hesitant to be associated with these new Christians and the apostles, the fact was that they were held in very high respect and esteem by everyone. And verse 14, every day more people were coming to faith in Christ. It says people were bringing their sick to the temple so the apostles could heal them. That was their gathering place, by the way. It says there are a few different places at the beginning of the book of Acts. Uh, that portion of the temple courts called Solomon's portico, in my translation, some translations say Solomon's porch, but Solomon's portico, that kind of portion of the temple court, that's where these new Christians would meet and the apostles would teach and preach from. But they're running out of room. <laughs> they're running out of room there. And it was really hard to get to the apostles, especially for these people that had sick relatives or friends or or family or loved ones or whatever. They wanted to get to the apostles, wanted, wanted healing. Didn't have room, couldn't get to the apostles. So the people would lay their sick on cots out in the street where Peter would walk, hoping maybe his shadow would fall on them so they could be healed by Peter's shadow coming across them. <laughs> that to me almost borders on superstition, doesn't it? <laughs> In the excitement of all that the Holy Spirit is doing and the emotional fervor it stirred up, people went to that extreme. Um, that's human nature. We aren't told here if anyone was actually healed by Peter's shadow passing over them. That doesn't say if anybody was actually healed by that. People were, did that hoping, but it doesn't actually say if anybody was healed. Maybe it's kind of like that time during Jesus' life when that woman who needed healing couldn't get to Jesus, but she thought if she could just get through the crowd and, and, and touch the hem 
of Jesus' garment, she could and would be healed. And she did that, and, and she was healed. Jesus stopped and talked to her, and a great lesson for all of us came out of what Jesus said there. Here, whether anyone was healed by Peter's shadow, I, I have no idea. I'll let you chew on that one. Verse 16 does tell us that the people from all over were bringing their sick to them and, and people with unclean spirits and says they were all being healed. That's what it says there in verse 16. They were all being healed. So, let you chew on that one. What I want us to see here is that this new work of God kept on going. The advancement of the kingdom of God was not hindered by the sin in the ranks. The sin was exposed. The sin was dealt with. Great fear came over the body of Christ and the work was not hindered. It went on with great power. And everyday people were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. That was the result of the action God took. The work went on unhindered. It could go on unhindered because the sin in the ranks was dealt with. And the lesson is there for us to see. If sin in the ranks is dealt with, the work can go on. And by implication then, if the sin in the ranks is not dealt with, the work will be hindered. Because God, after he gave us this example, here in the book of Acts, has now... He's left it up to us to deal with the sin in the ranks when it becomes known. And we need to take this seriously. God has given us instructions in his word. Jesus in the gospels, the apostles and the epistles they wrote, they gave us instructions for church leaders how to deal with sin in the ranks. So we need to take this seriously. Something that needs to be done. And if we do, the work can carry on. So therefore we see from this story recorded in this passage some aspects that give us a greater understanding of the necessity of dealing with the sin among us. And those aspects are, number one, the sin, lying to the Holy Spirit, hypocrisy in front of the body of Christ. Secondly, God's action quick and decisive act of God in striking them both dead showing the importance of dealing with sin in the ranks quickly and decisively and then the result great fear of God came upon them all and the work of God continued in great power and every day more people came to faith in Jesus This is in many ways a difficult passage. As I mentioned to the elders this morning, I, I, I prepared it. I, I'm not sure who, who this sermon is for this morning. But in reality, it's for all of us, isn't it? Difficult passage. There are questions that likely have been raised in your mind as we went through this that have not been answered. How far do we take this? We're all sinners. 
And many of the questions I, I don't have answers for. Except that this is the message of this passage. Sin against God, the Holy Spirit, and against the body of Christ needs to be dealt with and quickly and thoroughly. If not, it will hinder the work of God. If it is dealt with, the work of God can go on with power. Maybe the lesson for us personally is each one of us deal with our own sin before it becomes a corporate issue. <laughs> deal with it quickly in your own heart and mind before it becomes a church issue, a corporate issue. It needs to be dealt with so the work of God can go on. We're going to take our time of silence and again I'm just going to invite you to open your heart to the Holy Spirit and listen to what he's saying to you personally. I don't know, as I said, uh, who the sermon is for or what the message is for you in your own person, but I'm pretty sure God does. <laughs> pretty sure the Holy Spirit knows. So just all of us, let's take a moment of silence and open our hearts. What is God saying to me here this morning? I'll give you a few moments. Amen. Music team, please. Let's stand and sing together.
Thank you for your singing.